the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. When the English singer Dua Lipa, whose family is Muslim, was on the Stephen Colbert show about three weeks ago, she turned the tables and interviewed Colbert. And you may know that Colbert is an outspoken Christian. He grew up Catholic and returned to his faith as an adult, and he describes that scene of that sort of reconversion. He was in Chicago on a frigid night, and he was handed a little green Bible, and he read the Sermon on the Mount. He said, I stood on the street corner in the cold and read the sermon, and my life has never been the same. Well, uh, Dua Lipa knew uh, that Colbert is open about his faith, so when she was posed to ask him a question, um, she asked this one. So, Stephen, which, you have your comedy and your faith. Which one rules over the other? Like, which one will win when you're, when you're doing your show? And Colbert said this, I think ultimately, being mortal, faith will win out in the end. But I certainly hope when I get to heaven, Jesus has a sense of humor. So, which, um, which he, 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 speaking of that, I'm going to give you a little humor right now, church humor that was just sent to me, so I'll get ready. Um, and this is it. I found a $20 bill in the parking lot, and I thought to myself, what would Jesus do? So, I turned it into wine. Classic uh, preacher strategy to soften you up before the fire and brimstone come later. So, um, well, Colbert says faith will win out in the end. Jesus will win out in the end. That's always true, and um, it feels especially important to say that right now in the with the world stage as it is, the tumult in the world. We've gone from an Afghani crisis to a Ukrainian crisis. And those are just two hot spots in the world, uh, which is uh, filled with suffering and hurt. We're two years in almost to this pandemic. Most people are weary. Most people are strung out in their relationships. Most people need a word of hope. We need to know what Colbert says, that Jesus wins in the end. That's exactly what we see in the gospel that I just read to you. Lo and behold... Jesus takes his three best friends up the mountain. It's a famous scene called the Transfiguration. He's transfigured. His clothes radiate with beaming white. His true nature is the Son of God, radiates through him. And Moses and Elijah show up, talking, as the text says, about Jesus's, quote, departure, which is code word for his, the cross, the cross of Christ uh, that is about to happen. And Moses and Elijah and Jesus, they have this chat and their business apparently accomplished. Moses and Elijah decide to mosey on to wherever they've been before. <laughs> Who knows? And Peter's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He bursts into the scene uh, like Peter does. And the text says he doesn't even know what he's saying. But he says, hold on, hold on. Master, it's so good to be here. Talking to Jesus. I got an idea. I'll build three shelters so we can all just stay up here on the mountain and all be together. So what's happening there? I'm going to try to translate what's happening on that mountain to our lives together today. 
Well, I think Peter is, whether he knows it or not, he's making a mistake that's easy for us to make about God and about our faith, about our Christianity. Um, he sees, um, you know, he, Moses and Elijah there, and he spouts off, and nobody can blame him because a fellow doesn't see that every day. But he is, in effect, saying this. Okay, we need, we need everybody. We need we need Moses here. We need a little bit of the law. We've got to have the law here. And we need Elijah here. We've got to have spirituality. Got to have some law. Got to have some spirituality. And I guess we need you, Jesus. I'm not really sure what you're about yet. But I don't know. You're here, so we should stay. you should stay here too. So what does that mean for you and me? Excuse me. It means this, I think. So Moses on that mountain represents God's law. And God's law is this, just in shorthand. Knowing what's right, um, um, knowing what's best, and then just going ahead and doing it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I feel out of control uh, in my life, when there's another person that is not abiding by how I think they should abide, or myself, my, my instinct is to buckle down and try harder and get that person in control, set good boundaries. Um, like we say, you know, with wayward children, it's time to lay down the law. And this is a response that comes to us when we feel out of control. And in your experience and mine, it can work very briefly with real power, you know, having this right-handed power, but it always fails in the end. For if the law would have worked, as we say, it would have worked when Moses came down from that first mountain in Sinai with his, um, with his, his face shining. Uh, and as <laughs> Allison just said, Paul, when I introduce the reading, am I allowed to say, this is the first instance of information being downloaded from the cloud? I said, yeah, you should definitely say that. So, uh, but then what happens? He goes down and he sees a melee in the orgy down there and he breaks the tablets. So if the law were to work, it would work by now, and it doesn't. So we need something else. And so people will also turn to, quote, spirituality, and that's what I'm talking about, Elijah. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, I mean that um, Elijah was a prophet who had particular... Uh, a particular charismatic sense around him. He performed miracles. Um, he called down fire on his enemies. He represents a, a faith in which God has real power. You pray this and this happens. You, you have a kind of mountaintop experience of God. And thanks be to God, those things happen to us, but we all know we don't stay there, right? They don't last. Most of our life, 99% of our life, is just lived down in the valley. It's just lived in the day to day. And the mountaintop experiences don't work. The law doesn't work. So we need something else. Well, that's why God enters the scene himself at this point. God the Father. He says, enough of this nonsense. He says, in response to Peter saying, let's build everybody in, uh, a place to live here. He says, this is my son, my chosen. 
listen to him. All the focus goes on Jesus. All of it. And then I believe um, the, the most important line of this text comes next, and it's this. When the voice had spoken, God the Father, quote, Jesus was found alone. All by himself. He was found alone. The law, the prophets, fulfilled in him. That's what we say in our scripture, I mean, in our liturgy. The reformers used the phrase, solus Christus, Christ alone. They did it for a reason. And how it relates to you and me and our problems is this. We have nowhere but him to turn with all that is happening in our weary world, in our weary selves. All of our hope, all of our trust, all of our faith is in him, in his departure, his atoning work on the cross for our sake. Christ alone, who descended the mountain alone, he was um, abandoned by his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane and found himself alone. He was tortured alone. He was crucified alone. And he alone is all we need. Jesus was found alone. Alone for you, though. I want to start with a kind of witness from Stephen Colbert, and I want to close with a, another witness of a man who confesses Christ alone. And um, this is a man who has known the weariness and the suffering and the tragedy and the trauma of the world, even with all that we are suffering now in ways that only very, that very few of us can actually imagine. I'm talking about Frederick Douglass. Uh, there's an HBO series on him right now in his five great speeches, who was, of course, born into slavery, as you know, and God uplifted him and sustained him so he became the great orator of, of liberation. He describes in his own words a moment when he put his trust in God and Christ alone. I was not more than 13 years old when in my loneliness and destitution I longed for someone to whom I could go as to a father or a protector. The preaching of a white minister Methodist minister was the means of causing me to feel that in God I had such a friend. This minister thought all men, great and small, bond and free, were sinners in the sight of God. That we were by nature rebels against his government. That we must repent of our sins and be reconciled to God through Christ. I cannot say that I had a very distinct notion of what was required of me, but one thing I did know well, I was wretched. I had no means of making myself otherwise. Not buckling down with the law, not with the spiritual experience. So I consulted a good old colored man named Charles Lawson, and in tones of holy affection, he told me to cast all my care upon God. This I sought to do. And though for weeks I was a poor, broken-hearted mourner, traveling through doubts and fears, I finally, find, finally found my burden lightened, my heart relieved. I loved all mankind, 
Slaveholders not accepted. I saw the world in a new light. This day where we see the light of Christ radiating out of him on the mountaintop, we know that in Christ the new light of grace has dawned and that he wins in the end. Amen.